Hello, my praying people. You are listening to the Prayer Clinic Podcast, and I'm Leanne McCoy, your host. On this podcast, we're going to unpack the mystery of prayer. Along the way, your faith will be strengthened and your relationship with Christ will be taken to new levels. Prayer is the most powerful tool we have as believers, but far too few of us know where to even begin in exercising and using this powerful tool. Let's take this journey together and experience what happens when we pray. One of the most powerful things we can do in our prayer lives is to enter into that place of prayer, understanding and knowing what our relationship is with God and what kind of a position we hold with Him. Um, For instance, when my grandchildren come into my room and they ask me for, you know, something, maybe they want electronic time. That's what they always want. (laughs) And they come asking, they, they ask based on the relationship they have with me. If they're pretty certain that I'm going to say yes, then they are, they're going to come in and they're going to ask boldly and excitedly and with anticipation that they're going to get the answer they're looking for. Um, If they though are uncertain about our relationship or they think that they might be disturbing me, this happens sometimes when they ask their mom for electronics time. They go to her and they're timid. In fact, they kind of negotiate over who's going to be doing the asking. And, you know, oftentimes their mom's like, no, I'm working right now. She's working from home. And the answer is no, that's a solid no. And so it affects, you know, the way that they're going to ask. All that to say that when we come into our prayer closet or or not even in our prayer closet, just as we're interacting with God and as we're talking to him and we're praying with him, we're going to approach him based on how we feel about our overall relationship with him. Is he ready and eager to hear us? Can we just boldly ask without any kind of uh, thought at all? Or is he like this righteous judge who's waiting on us to get our act together before we can dare to ask him anything? So in Ephesians 1 and 2, we really get to unpack what it means to be in this uh, relationship with Christ and what our position is, how it is that we are seated with Him. That's what we're going to talk about today in this podcast. About this morning is what it means to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. So thinking in, in that um, vein... Uh, what it means to have a seat in the heavenlies. Uh, we'll jump in. Here's some phrases that I've heard that relate to sitting. Sit down and be quiet. I say that often to my granddaughters. Or here's one, please sit down and stay a while. More of an invitation to come and linger. And then here's one my husband does often. We go into a restaurant to sit and I always wait a minute before I sit down because I know he's going to turn to the host and say, can we sit over there instead? And then here's another one. Where would you like to sit? Or this is one of the best class. You will note that we have assigned seats. Please find yours and sit down. All of these are common phrases 
that um, most likely bring certain ideas to your mind when I say them. And you've shown up today, and from what I don't see, I think we've like muted your videos, which is really a funny feeling because I'm like talking to your names, but you're most likely on the other side of your videos sitting down and not standing up because you've come to occupy the space to stay for a little while, and you've designated this time in this seat to a few hours, a few minutes of um, focusing on your spiritual well-being. So to sit is to linger, to stay put, to settle in. I've got a favorite chair that I sit in for my quiet time. And when I bought it, um, they said, we call this the marshmallow chair. And I said, that is the chair for me. And when my adult children come home, they go to that room and they sit in that chair and they say to me, we just feel the power of the Spirit of God in this chair. <laughs> I don't know if that is so. My kids are a little bit crazy. But I do spend a lot of time with God sitting in that place. So to sit is to linger, is to stay put, is to settle in. I always loved when my grandma Smith, she had a front porch with one of those um, rocking recliners that is like vintage that was made out of metal. People would stop by in that day in the cool of the evening and they would stand on the porch and then she'd say, sit down and let's just talk for a little bit. And many, many times they would do that. When the New Testament was being written, it was, a com it was common to use the word sit to um, refer to one's actual occupation. A carpenter would sit at his bench when he did his work. Um, if you were a seamstress, you sat to sew. And so when the word sit was used in the New Testament to write things, it, it meant more than just sit down. It meant this is the space you occupy and this is what you work, what you do. It's where you do your work. You'll remember in the Old Testament that we would read about how the men in the community would sit at the city gate and they would make business transactions there or they would visit with one another there. And so sitting was a place to um, occupy the space to carry on the work of their life. Your seat was your staying place. It was, it was your, this is where I do my life place. Now, I said all of that. So, well, I want to um, continue to talk about the seat being the place where you launch from. So, we also have seats in our relationships. If you're married, well, you are married. We're talking to pastor's wives today. So, you sit in relationship with your husband. You occupy space that is unique to you in that relationship. If you're a mother... You sit in a seat related to your children. And if you're like me, you have several children. The seat you occupy is a little bit different for each child because they are unique and different. If you're employed, you sit there. You get the idea of what I'm talking about. All of us have seats that we occupy, seats that belong only to us, seats that if we vacate, no one else can fill them. It's our seat. It belongs to us. As we talk about the significance of the seat that God has prepared for you with your name on it, I want you to think about these things, about what we mean by being sat down. Now, 
to begin to build the picture, to put us in this place. I want us to go back to our college days, if our high school days, when you would cut, show up on the first day of class and it was your opportunity to um, walk into the room for the first time. Let's imagine we're in college. We've meandered into God's class and we're so excited to be here. He's a very popular professor. It's extremely hard to get in his class. In fact, you can't even sign up for it. You have to be chosen. He picks who gets to come into his class, and now you get to be there. You show up on the first day, and you notice right away when you walk in the room that he has indeed assigned the seats because you look at the chairs, and there are specific names on each one of them. And as you're finding, are walking in and beginning to look for your seat, you hear the voice of what must be his graduate assistant. And this graduate assistant is speaking from the lectern where he will teach. And this is what he says. Hey guys, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we, were, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and sat us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Please find your seat and settle in for our class. Now, you may recognize that I just read the verses from Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6 in the message translation or version of the Bible. And I couldn't help but think how exciting it would be to walk into a class like that. And as I come in, be reminded of just how exciting it is to be there. Just the fact that we've been chosen and that God has a seat for us means that we get to be the recipient of something precious that is coming forth from him. I want you to think about that being your welcome into this conference today. You've been invited. You've been chosen. You've shown up. And now you're entering in to that specific seat that is for you. There's perhaps no better place for us to be. So now that we've found our seats, let's discover what it means to be here sitting together. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to unpack verses 3 through 14. And um, as you go there, I'm going to find it in, in the translation of the Bible that I want to use, which is a brand new translation, by the way, called the um, New English Translation. I just bought this big, humongous Bible uh, last week because I was curious about the new translation. It's got all kinds of information about um, how they came up with the words that they chose to use in this translation. Now, um, I'm going to read verses 3 through 14, and as I read them, I want you to note, maybe just write a little tally point of how many times you hear me say in him or in Christ or in the beloved or any reference to Christ 
as I read these verses. We'll, we'll uh, talk about those tallies in just a minute. So I'm going to start reading Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that he should be holy, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his legal heirs through Christ Jesus, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, that he was freely bestowing on us in his dearly loved son. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of the times to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession, since we were predestined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to set our hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, there is a lot in just this passage of scripture. So I want to first share with you what I learned from my friend who you're going to get to hear from in just a second, Donna Gaines, in her book, Seated, which I thought was really funny that she's written the book and I'm teaching (laughs) this. Just a tiny bit intimidating, Donna. But what Donna taught me in her great book on Ephesians is that what Paul is writing is a typical or a very common in his day Um, form of literature. In Jewish liturgy, they actually called this, and, and imagine this, what I just read was one long sentence. And it was, um, we would call it a run-on sentence in our, in our life and day. But in his day, it was a common, um, way to write and express a song. It was kind of like a psalm of praise. And so as he wrote this, he was just bursting with praise to God, which I love that Paul does that so much. What I also discovered from my new Bible that I'm reading out of is that this baraka, they call it, the psalm of praise, is broken into three distinct sections, and each section speaks of the Trinity. And if you go back and glance at these verses, you can actually see this. And every section wraps up with the phrase, to the praise of his glory. So look again at the verses and you see in verses three through um, three through six, blessed is God is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He goes on to talk about the God, our father, and then look um, at the end of verse six, right there in the midst of it, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And then he rolls right into transitioning into talking about Jesus, the son of God. He wraps that up in verse um, 12, where he says to Jesus, to the praise and glory of his um Uh, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And then he does it again. He talks about the Holy Spirit and how we're sealed for the day of redemption to the praise of his glory. Now, isn't that cool? 
Like in that passage of scripture, Paul is explaining to us where we are seated. And what he's saying is that now that we have been lifted up out of the muck and the mire of our lives, now that we've been, the the mystery of God has been revealed to us, we are seated in the heavenlies right there in the harmonious oneness of the Trinity. Now, I just have to explode with Paul and say to the praise and glory of God when I think about that. You see, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, this mystery that's still hard for our human minds to understand, they exist in perfect oneness. Go camp out in John chapter 17 and you get to hear kind of Jesus's um passion for this oneness with his father and with the spirit. And you hear that what he's praying to the father prior to going to the cross is, Lord, I want them to be in us so that we all might be one with each other. So imagine from the beginning of time, from before the beginning of in the beginning, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit exists in perfect harmony, in perfect unity, in perfect intimate fellowship, oneness of mind and heart with each other. And there's only one time when the Trinity, that perfect harmony was broken. And when was that? When Jesus took on sin on our behalf and was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that was the the wrenching of his heart for having been separated from that harmony and that oneness and that intimacy because he became sin for one reason only. And what was that? To bring us into the Trinity, into the Trinity harmony, oneness with him. And so my friends, Jesus paid the price so that we could become a, a member of the oneness of God. We could join in to that intimate fellowship with him. This seat that I've created the picture of it being in a classroom, it's really more like a place at his table. It's more like a seat in his family. It's more like we now have entered into this amazing place that allows us to have intimate fellowship with God. Um, Goodness, Diane, you prayed we'd get off our notes, and I did. So now i got to go find where I am. Um, So let's talk about what it means to be in Christ. And remember that we're talking about how our seat is our launching place. You see, when we know where we belong, we identify ourselves. I mean, we, we have a place where we understand who we are and whose we are. And then everything we do in our life comes out of that place. I don't know about you, your pastor's wives, right? Um, When my husband and I are at odds with one another, like nothing else works on that day, like nothing. And we do serve on staff together. And I had our... um, our youth, well, no, he's not our youth pastor, our next gen pastor in my office with me the other day. And I, I have to confess to you guys, and I can do this because y'all are pastor's wives and you understand life is real. And I was at odds with my husband. I can't even remember what I was mad about, but I was not happy with him. And so I had already grinned and bared it 
all day. He even tried to make a little bit of a public apology to me in front of the whole staff by saying, he was talking about priorities and how you should have God first. If you're a husband, you should have your wife second. And, you know, your father, you should have your kids third. And then you should have ministry fourth. He was explaining and teaching the staff an excellent lesson on this. And he even said to them, and I don't do too good at the second one. So he was like, you know, trying to be humble. And and it was a little bit adorable, but it was not enough to get him off the hook with me. And so later that afternoon, this young pastor is in my office. We're talking and Tom's like trying to make faces at my window, trying to like warm me up. And I just like, uh, and I said to the other, I shouldn't have done this. I'm really revealing my flaws to you now. I said to the young pastor, I said, he thinks that's going to work on me, but it is not going to work. It's going to take much more than that to win me back into his good graces. <laughs> so just to say that when we are not in good connection with our, um, with our relationships, it messes up everything. That was why I told you that story. Just to put your minds at ease, we are back in good graces with one another. We worked it out and all is well. Um, but we are, are seated. And when we understand what it means to be in this seat, in this relationship with God, it will impact everything else we do in our life. So what does it mean to be in Christ? How many times did, were y'all able to like glance at how many times you heard me say in him, in Christ, in the beloved? Anybody got like numbers? They, I see your faces now, some of you. Anybody got numbers? Did you actually tally them and count them? Anybody? How many did you see? 10, 12. Okay, good. Yeah, 10, 12. That's how many. So the cool thing is that um, Paul... He repeated in his long baraka, in his big old long sentence where it was beautifully crafted to actually give distinct praise to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to talk about what it means for us to be in and how our seat relates to each one of the parts of the Trinity. He didn't say once, he didn't say twice, but ten times he mentioned that we are seated in Christ. And so it's really important for us to understand what it means to be in Christ. Now, Jesus explained to Nicodemus what it meant to be in Christ. It meant to be born again. To be in Christ was to be born again. Now, if you're a woman who's lucky enough or fortunate enough to have given birth to children, you know what um, Jesus meant when he was referencing this. When your baby was conceived, he or she was living in your body. You knew he was there because he made you sick. Or you knew she was there because she made you fat. And then the time came when you knew that if that baby stayed where it was, it was very quickly going to be not a good place for either that child or for you. That that child was not meant to live life in that place. And so, in that fullness of time, and I don't know about y'all, but I got very full when I was pregnant with those babies. In that fullness of time, that baby was born and he left the old life and everything that sustained him in it and entered into a new way of living. This transition when the baby went from being in us, in our bodies to being in our arms was a complete and total transformation. In the same way that we now breathe air and eat food, when we enter into our life in Christ, we go from breathing polluted unbelief to breathing truth. We go from being fed the things of the world to trusting the hand of God to feed us and give us exactly what we need. 
This is referencing what Paul said to us in that um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 that I read to you as the salutation of coming in to the class this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but you birthed your de- your baby. A day or two later, they packed that child up and sent you home. And you didn't have a clue what you were supposed to do with this little creature that now is in your life. Somehow, you and your husband figured out how to be parents. And now, this child that was in your body was now in your family. And he or she began to understand who he was, not only in relationship to the unique ways God made him, but he learned who he was in you, in your husband, in his or her relationship with their siblings. And it's from that family that he or she launched into the world. And so, In a beautiful Christ-centered home, the family is the building block of the kingdom of God. It's the wonderful place to get and understand this concept of being in Christ. You're in healthy relationships, and it's through those that you learn who you are and what you're here for and what's unique for you. Now, in an unhealthy family, that all gets distorted, and it's hard, and it's crazy, and it's it's all messed up. But... um, We operate out of who we are and we discover who we are in relationship to those around us. When you enter into a relationship with God through Christ, you're on an adventure to discover a new you, a you who is now revealed through your dwelling with him. Don't you know it? Aren't you different as a wife than you would be if you were not a wife? Aren't you different as a mother than you would be if you were not a mother? You know, all who we are is directly related to who we are in relationship with. I have three adult children. They're 28, 27, and 25. And I have fond memories of them while they were growing up. Tom and I were intentional about spending time together as a family. We worked together. We played together. We cheered each other on when they were playing and we were sitting in the bleachers or at the ball fields. And we lavished our kids with gifts according to what we were able to give them. We also shared our joy, and when life hit us a curveball, we shared our sorrows. Even now, they are adults. We are here, and we're eager to share our wisdom, probably too eager sometimes, <laughs> way eager to share our counsel. So I've got to learn to wait and be asked first. And um, we still want to share our experiences, our joys, and our sorrows. We're entering into the holiday season, and even now we're thinking about how to express our love for these who are dear to us. And we will express that out of our riches, out of what we have to give them. And... Um, When we die, when Tom and I die, whatever is left that is attached to this world, who's it going to go to? Going to go to our kids. They've got it all. And I'd share all of this with you to explain to you and just really wrap this up by um, explaining or really listing all of these kinds of things that are ours because we are God's children, because we belong to him. Belonging in God's family is like belonging in our families, only better. 
And this is why Paul penned this run-on sentence as his heart exploded in praise over what we get to have simply because God chose us to be in his house. So I'm just going to run down this list of blessings that you've already heard, but I'm just listing them out. Number one, we are beneficiaries of every spiritual blessing in the heavens. All of it is ours. Just like everything my husband and I have will belong to my kids, I pour it out on them. Second, we were chosen. We were not just happenstance. We picked him. He picked us. Number three, we're holy and blameless in his sight. How is this possible? Number four, we were predestined to, for adoption in his family. I love other people and I love other kids, but these three that God gave me, they belong to me. And so we are God's kids. We are favored. He delights in us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We are redeemed. If we weren't, we couldn't be in relationship with him. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins from the past, our sins in the present, and what God knows we will do in the future based on whatever happens in our life. It's all forgiven. Not only is our sin, our sins have been not counted against us, but God has pulled out that sin nature. And as we lean in and work with him and deny the flesh and take up our cross and follow him, he makes us more and more like him. And we find more freedom past all of the things this world tries to shoot at us to keep us broken. His grace has been lavished on us, undeserved, unmerited, something we could have never worked hard enough for or long enough to accomplish. And I, I have I have listed, this is number nine. God let me in on the mystery of his perfect plan. And that is to bring everything together in Christ, my Savior and Lord. And therefore, number 10, I just surmised God shares his secrets with me. I love that. Number 11, he chose me to show the world he's the same today as he is this as he was yesterday as the days written in scripture. Not only do I get to belong in the family of God, but he trusts me enough to let me participate in his work. Um, I'm his inheritance. I have the person of the Holy Spirit living in me as a guarantee that I am his and he is mine. My friend, you have a seat at God's table, not merely in his classroom. He's welcomed you into his home and everything he has, he pours out and lavishes on you. I'm going to close by sharing a simple story about how this plays out in our life. And it's not my story. It's um, one written by Robertson McQuilkin, and I got it out of his book called Life in the Spirit. And he's telling a great illustration to show how we get to live life in victory because we have this seat in the heavenlies with Christ. My sixth grade buddy and I were having a water gun fight during school recess. Just as I shot at him, the school bully happened to run between us and caught the stream of water on the side of his head. Twice my size, he could have twisted me into a pretzel with his bare hands, but instead he reached into his pocket and drew out a switchblade knife. Then began the big chase. It was chicken to go into the schoolhouse before the bell rang, so I started around the schoolyard with Big Jim in hot pursuit. Round and round um, with all the kids like some giant swarm of bees following to see the slaughter. Finally, the saving bell into the safety of the classroom, but only for a time. Just as I suspected, when school was out, there he stood guard at the gate. I sneaked out another exit and over backyard fences the four blocks to the safety of home. Every day a different route till finally I ran out of stratagems. 
a very lonely Friday afternoon, found me disconsolate in a darkened hallway, contemplating my nemesis waiting patiently by the gate. I glanced out the side window, and, and to my astonishment, there was a sight I'd never seen before and never since. My father was walking down the sidewalk, down the side stairs, and out to greet him with unaccustomed warmth. I put my hand in his, and we marched together past the front gate. Hi, Jim, I said with studied nonchalance. You see, my friends, because we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, our Father has a personal relationship with us. We can put our hands in His and walk in victory against anything the enemy might bring our way. When I was young and Oh, starry gazed in love with my husband. I heard him preach his first sermon, and it was at his daddy's church at First Baptist Church, Dixon, Tennessee. Now, truth be known, he could have stood in that pulpit and sang the Star Spangled Banner off key, and people would have been saved just because of the miraculous transformation that had gone on in their little PK's life for God to call him to be a preacher. But instead, he preached his heart out, and out of his mouth came this, and it might not even be original with him, but it is really good. He said, I'm so saved, I could swing over hell on a rotten corn stalk, spit in the devil's eye, and sing victory in Jesus all at the same time. And I was like, wow, that's my husband-to-be, you know? And I got to thinking about that. And my friends, that picture, even though it's very redneck and probably very Southern, but I know that in New York, we got some redneck kind of people too. And it communicates. It communicates to what it means to be seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We sit in a beautiful place simply because he adores you. Thanks for listening to the Prayer Clinic Podcast. For more information on my speaking and writing ministry, go to leannemccoy.com. To learn more about the Prayer Clinic ministry, go to prayer.clinic. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to give us a rating and subscribe. We'll see you next time, my praying people.